Hello, welcome or welcome back to the Just Eat Normally podcast for eating disorder recovery with me, Dr. Rachel Evans. I am a psychologist, hypnotherapist with a PhD in the psychology of eating and specialist training in eating disorder recovery as well as personal experience of going through an eating disorder and coming out the other side which makes me super passionate about what I do and in every episode as with my one-to-one clients I'm bringing you academic knowledge, information and theories as well as therapeutic skills and personal experiences, be that mine or experiences of my guests, for a unique perspective on eating disorder recovery. So join me on this podcast as I speak to fellow experts in eating disorder recovery, eating disorder survivors with inspiring stories, and also throw in some bite-sized solo episodes with recovery tips or new ways for you to think about things. The goal of this podcast is to give you food for thought, to shift your mindset, to boost your motivation, and to help you find your own version of normal eating, which will allow you to live a truly nourished life. Oh, before we go, um, doctor or Rachel, what do you like? Oh, thank you for asking. Rachel is fine. <laughs> I feel like Dr. So um, formal. I know I obviously got the qualification, but just, I don't know. I'm not used to it. It's been, a, <laughs> it's been a while, but I'm not used to it. So welcome back, everyone. We have a very polite guest today, <laughs> as you just heard. <laughs> uh, so I'm oh, I didn't know that was recording. <laughs> it's recording now. I'm going to leave it in. It's quite nice. No. <laughs> um, and also because I can't edit very well. Um, so we have... Ali Spots de Laza, who is a certified eating disorder specialist, and she is a licensed professional clinical counselor and a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is in the US. And importantly, for what we're going to talk about today, she is the author of Meaningful Read, uh, which is 23 life changing stories of conquering dieting, weight, and body image issues. So is there anything else, Ali, that you would like to say to introduce yourself to everyone? Uh, You know, Rachel, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I just really appreciate your content and our connection. So I'm today we will probably have things that I have never talked about because we're kind of just going off the fly. So or on the fly, whatever that saying is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm looking forward Oh, um, it's meaningful. Uh, my screen name used to be meaningful read. So it's meaningful 23 life changing stories of conquering dieting, weight and body image issues. And the only reason I say that is because if you put meaningful into Amazon, it actually will pop up with skin, skin creams, I think like baby wipes or something. I mean, lots of meaningful products. So you have to actually put in the 23. Uh, okay. And also I assume if someone searched in books, specifically yes. hopefully it would come up one would hope <laughs> and it's full with two l's yes yeah I was trying to emphasize full when I was saying it but I don't know if I did yeah I think I got myself confused um, about that so thank you for clarifying thank um, you. also on my like notes for your bio readers on another line <laughs> so I was like oh, read quick <laughs> say that too um so meaningful 
And mm-hmm. so we're just going to start off with a general chat if you're um, happy to do that. Like I sure. usually ask guests, like, what was your relationship with food and your body like when you were growing up? This is such a great question. And um, because you actually gave me this one ahead of time, I was thinking about it. And I have a lot of pockets where I, truthfully, I, I don't really remember. But what I can recall is suddenly I became aware of my body. I don't think I was ever aware of it prior. Like I know when I was young, I went through a full year of only wearing dresses because they were feminine. And I had just found out what that word meant. And I was just going to do that. Um, but then at that point, I know I didn't know about my body suddenly my body became this thing that I knew I understood I was to try to make it as close to what was put into the public as acceptable and right as I possibly could. And it, the messaging was kind of um, whoever and whatever actual skin and bone shape you have, your job was to try to get it as close to what was posed as being desirable and acceptable. And it kind of didn't go past that. So I went from like running around and playing to striving to, I think it was right before my growth spurt and I knew I had chunked out. And so I was kind of desperate to not have those red pants so tight anymore. That's where it all kind of started. It's really interesting. When I do um, hypnosis with clients and um, if we do it about body image, spoiler alert for anyone that works with me. um, But for that one, um, I kind of like when we are going into hypnosis and then they imagine walking down the beach and obviously I make it interesting and exciting. And then they see their younger self playing and we kind of tune into that younger self who is like, really carefree probably building sandcastles and I asked them to like what is she thinking and feeling or or he or they are they happy and yeah practically everyone says like she's not thinking about her body or they're not thinking about their body they're so in the moment yeah and I guess for the hypnotherapy then we kind of get them to download those thoughts and feelings and we come back to them later in the session but it is interesting that I think a lot of people almost have this kind of like awakening of like oh, my body is something that I need to try and control yeah. or it doesn't look this certain way that I think quotes should look. You know, I, I, it's so funny. I, I, was, I think I was 11 and I remember I was already aware of the formula of how to change a body, but it wasn't even that thought of this isn't how I should look. It was more that thought of my duty is to try like it was dutiful it was so strange um now that I and I just really appreciate you asking that question because you know um as much realization and work as therapists go through and in my own recovery from anywhere from non-clinical to full-blown eating disorders serious over 20 years you know I um I've done a lot of work but that that was an interesting thing to think about Um, And then I had this kind of bullying incident where I remember my thought after was, well, gosh, I'm going to get myself as protected as I possibly can be from anything that could be made fun of. 
And so that was when I really started another diet. And that one took me straight down a long slide of anorexia nervosa, then bulimia, then, I mean, just all over the, all the DSM revisions. Um, but it was interesting because it was not my first controlling of my body. Rachel, when you were, you know, 11, 12, 13, do you, do you remember what your relationship was like? We're just getting hormones. We're just accordioning up, accordioning up before we, you know, shoot in some height. Well, back then, cause we were, well, I'm a lot older than you, but we grew mm-hmm. um, a little older than they do nowadays. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think for me, it probably started not an eating disorder, but thoughts about my food and body when I did gymnastics Mm. when I was about eight. And I remember thinking like, I'm bigger than other people. And that was a bad thing because there were certain moves that we did with partners that we would like stand on each other and things like that. And I would never like be the one standing on people hardly ever, or I would get paired with like the bigger, like, you know, (laughs) the 15 year old boys to do that with. And so I was thinking... I'm bigger and obviously well probably for message from diet culture and things I just thought that's a bad thing so I think I kind of felt a bit self-conscious yeah but it never really affected what I was eating or what I was doing and then I did swimming which then you're in a swimming costume um and people can see your body and then I kind of felt like I'm bigger but it never led me to diet I think all the time that um I was kind of living at home with my parents before I went to university and they were cooking the food and I was having snacks and I suppose I at the time I kind of felt like I didn't have a choice or maybe I just didn't really care that much I had this awareness that my body is not that standard but I guess for me you were saying you then thought it's my job to change it I never had that segment yeah Um, and interestingly, you said that about the partners, there was a time in my life, cause I, I love movement and dance. Um, but when, when I was younger, I actually just loved reading like at lunches, I would read. Um, so it wasn't the aware it, I, now that I really look back, I'm like, my gosh, I was this little nerd who liked singing in the choir and reading <laughs> and getting good grades. So I really wasn't doing things that would have brought awareness to my body at that time. Now, much later, I was dancing with partners. And I remember this one partner because I was the biggest in this group. And every time he'd throw me in the air, I'd hear, oh, <laughs> And they didn't know how incredibly obsessed I was about counting calories, working out, you know, I'm not going to keep naming all the, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be triggering. They had no idea of the struggle I was under. And as much as I would laugh at that in public, it was such a powerful message. Like, like I didn't know I was hard to throw. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know I was the heaviest. Yeah, I think it's just more comments as well, because you're making me think even people try and say nice things like um, when I was younger as well, like under 10, because like, we were still at my first house. My dad was like, oh, you're so I had a friend and her dad was absent. Um, and so my dad would like pick her up and play with her like he would us. And he I don't know why he would comment like, oh, your friend Becky is so much lighter than you like she's got light bones and you've got heavy bones I don't know why it's such a random maybe because he wasn't picking me up in the same way that he would pick her up and like throw her 
around but even that really stuck with me I don't think it affected me so much at the time but I kind of explain to my clients with an eating disorder it's not one thing I kind of say it's like a snowball like do you know you're building a snowman it just Mm -hmm. rolls up and rolls up and rolls up all those body comments and things yeah and that yeah that does really stuck with me I think that comparison thing and I was going to say earlier when you asked me about my experience as well I went to an all-girls school um from when I was like 11 um which I think comes with a whole load of other stuff about pressure and trying to do well and things but there was almost went to one and did uh, not (laughs) yeah so there like wasn't boys in the picture to like oh I should look good for boys for me that came later it's obviously an idea that was planted in my head Mm-hmm. But I didn't need to look good for boys in inverted commas until I went to university. And that's when my problem started. Also, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. It, you know, and I love that you said it's a snowball. As an eating, you know, as an eating and body image specialist, mm-hmm. I see clients and, and, and often, especially caregivers will be worried about what the cause was. And we still don't really have a ton of research that indicates what the direct cause is. It's a bunch of things that line up to push an on button. And, you know, as as something that I, I think I am only now, and I've been in this business for so long, but I really give so much meaning to the way that we make sense of thoughts and impressions when we're young because they become, I feel like they become a part of us and the way that we think and believe, like you made sense of your bones being heavier than that girl's. Now, whatever and however you made sense of it, it became potentially part of your truth and your makeup that could actually have told you later on that you weren't okay as is. Mm-hmm. And so um, just the way that our brains are constantly active and constantly trying to categorize, like if we listen to our thoughts, our thoughts say some really just ridiculous things. <laughs> I always say that instead of ridiculous. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I think I want to say that to anybody who's listening is your thoughts and your feelings are not necessarily facts. And so if you can hear something and you notice that it takes you down it actually may not be truthful. So so please question it and stop just accepting it. Yeah, I think that takes practice too, doesn't it? But yes. I think the more you can be aware of it and think, mm, yeah, we definitely said a lot on this podcast. Well, I think we have, because I, I talk about it all the time. <laughs> Thoughts are not facts. And yes. Might feel really true, but I think once you can start to question it and look, well, what's the evidence for this? What's the evidence yeah. against it? Or how are other people responding in the situation? And yeah, I really like your point about the making sense of the world because often yeah. as well, when we're young, we don't have all the understanding that we would need to make sense of it in the way that an adult would. And we can come right. to some quite funny misunderstandings about things. Um, and again, but when we I do just hip- keep... Yeah, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah, when I do hypnotherapy with clients and when you kind of look at memories and they can see, oh my gosh, I took all this meaning from something. Yeah. And okay, yes, maybe, for example, maybe someone shouldn't have said a comment, but they really didn't, you know, it was so off the cuff, they didn't mean what they said, but I took it as like, I'm a bad person, I'm rubbish, inadequate, and I've carried that with me for however many years. Um, I think, yeah, just looking back on incidents and um, looking what other meanings there could be is also a very good process to go through. And one of my kind of 
I wouldn't say favorite because it's not something that I'm like, oh, this is great. But um, something that I notice often is will make sense of completely unrelated things. So over here, somebody didn't like you. Over here, you didn't get something that you genuinely worked for and wanted. Over here, mom and dad got mad at you or mom and mom or dad and dad or whatever your family system was, grandma. Um, got mad at you for such and such. Well, they're all unrelated, but our brains, no matter what age we are, are still trying to make sense. So the one common denominator may be us. So then we're like, well, it's me. I stink. I'm a loser. I'm bad. like, I, I just think that that is so powerful it, throughout all these years of reading and biographies and clients. And I was, you know, I, um, I've met so many people in my life and the way that we can make sense of things in a way that truly does feel like it makes sense, but it gives you these terrifically awful superpowers that are not even accurate. Like, okay, you were the one common denominator, but those were all really unrelated random things. You don't have the superpower of creating this awful result every time that's your fault. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, you're so right. And I think once we can start to pick up on it, it doesn't yeah. mean that our brain is necessarily going to stop doing it, but no. we can just, you know, jump in with our logical brain or rational brain, whatever <laughs> you want to call that bit of you that's like, okay, let's take that step back. <laughs> let's have a look what's <laughs> happening. Maybe you've had a cry first or <laughs> felt your feelings first, but then kind of bringing that in a bit later to see, mm, was this true? You know, it's so funny because I can hear, I mean, I, I don't mean this in a, in a way of, of, of creepy hearing voices, but our thoughts are heard. And sometimes my brain will say something and I actually can kind of say back to it now. I'm like, that is so silly. Stop that. <laughs> yeah. I think some people do hear it in different ways. Like I was talking to my friend the other day, actually. So I'm in my thirties. We had a sleepover. It was very oh, nice. She came little back baby. I know, but it was so <laughs> nice. Funny. I was like, I just need a break. And she was like, oh, come and stay. It was her parents' house as well. Like, um, because she was up from London. It was really nice though. Um, but yeah, she was telling me about her inner voice. I'm sure she won't mind me saying she'll probably laugh. Honestly, she like did this really, I can't even do an impression, this low deep voice. And I was like, oh. I would be scared if my inner voice sounded like that when it was criticizing me. I think she was over-dramatizing it, but I think sometimes if we can give it more power than yeah. it really should have, and it's quite easy See, to do mine's that. Sneak mine is absolutely sneaky because it sounds just like my voice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I it's just, oh gosh, I put that out there to anyone listening. No, it's not psychotic. You're not like, mm -hmm. oh, there yeah. are hearing true voices, but then there are your thoughts that come into some way that you acknowledge them. And I, for lack of a better word, maybe acknowledge is the better word, mm -hmm. but acknowledging the thoughts and, you know, the weight that goes with them. Oh yeah. Also my friend is perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew that. Like you say, I, yeah, I think, um, yeah, because slight tangent, um, I can't remember what it's called when you basically like can hear your voice in your head with the thoughts, but some people don't have that. And I was really oh shocked gosh. when I thought some people don't have right. like an internal monologue. And I was like, how do you think stuff? Is it's it really interesting? Oh my gosh. Okay. And I know we need to talk about my book, but that is something else. Like the just to, I'm, I want to give like, anytime I come on a podcast, 
I want to give tidbits that are just so, I hope, resonating and helpful to some people. And um, with what you just said, I think assuming that we all, we all have a brain and we all walk through the world, but assuming that we, how you work is how others work, how I think is how others think, are my values is how, I, no, 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 unless you'd like a formula of problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, one more slide. Do it. Think on this. Um, it was really interesting when I did my um, neurolinguistic programming training, like the master's level, because we were kind of learning about people's metaprograms. Yes. Which we don't need to go into everything what that is. Um, I can't remember what the name of the one is called, but it was basically like some people, if you said a statement like "it's cold in here" or "I'm, yes. I'm thirsty," they would interpret that as a fact. Okay, it's cold, mm-hmm. or um, you know, I'm the person thirsty whereas other people kind of take it as an inference and so it's like oh it's cold oh let me shut the window then or oh let me get you a drink and it's just funny how different people take the same statement but like you were saying before they give it a meaning based on things so I just that just stuck with me that one little bit that I thought was interesting um because some people almost can't help it can you if you make a comment and they're really trying to help you and you think no it's fine I was just commenting literally Yeah, and some people see details, some people are better with overviews, some people can visually see something done, whereas other people build it and it reveals itself to that, like, it's, we're just so cool, people are so interesting and just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so really permission for what, however your brain works mm-hmm. is cool for you, and I think it's learning to make the most of that. And use it in a productive way that's helping your your life. So the book, what was the inspiration for Meaningful? I It stuck. Okay. I'm narrowing this down or I could probably talk for a half hour on the massive amount of things that went into this. Mm-hmm. It was a seed a long time ago about wanting to teach through something that was uplifting instead of focused on problems and pain. But you still have to feel the the joy for the person triumphing. One of the reasons, you know, as I look back, there are so many reasons, but the seed, I remember I checked it out with a publisher and I was like, hey, what about if I just wrote, you know, like what helped people conquer their issues? and kept it all positive. And the, the um, publisher was like, that's never going to fly. And I thought, oh, well, okay. But the seed never went away. And so that's something that I know I have to keep looking at when something keeps coming back mm-hmm. to me. I'm like a dog with a bone about ideas. And I tend to think of things that are either not done or different or not in the box. So if I have one of those, I kind of have to sit with it. So I sat with it for years And I did some projects that showed me many things about outreach to people outside of the eating disorder field about, see, we live in a diet culture. We live in a culture where thin reigns supreme in people's thinking. Like I said, my duty as a kid, well, I don't even know where I got that. I just knew that was my duty. So um, uh, some of the real reasons I wrote this are number one, connection. 
people feel so alone and so ashamed, especially if they're dieting and it fails, especially if they don't know that their diet developed an eating disorder for them. They don't, they, they just feel like they're failing in society often. And I thought, oh my gosh, how do we reach out to people outside of those already in the know? Because if I say, like I thought about the title of the book and I thought, well, giving up dieting is not really going to pull people. So I made it a book that ranged anywhere from body image struggles, dieting struggles, all the way up through serious eating disorders. Now that doesn't mean that dieting and body image is an eating disorder. But because to me, an eating disorder is the most serious that we talk about of all of those things combined, all mm -hmm. these related struggles. So if someone can get free of an eating disorder and heal and live a full life where food and body no longer dominates, in fact, sometimes doesn't even, they become more free than most people in society. Mm -hmm. So if they can get there, why wouldn't those skills, techniques, and revelations help other people who are struggling at different degrees? Yeah. So I wanted people not to feel alone. I wanted them to feel connected. I wanted them to feel inspired. I did not want to do a formulaic book, which is, well, I did. It wasn't that I set out to be a weirdo. I, when I say weirdo in a good way, um, I set out to create a book that spoke through storytelling and mini memoirs. And then it evolved that I couldn't make all the points cleared through just the short stories. So I had to make my commentary at the end as a professional so that people wouldn't get confused or I could pull something back from potentially triggering. And um, so it just evolved into what it became, which was something that didn't fit um, you know, the, the formulaic book, which made marketing, which made getting a publisher, but unsolicited press is my beautiful, beloved publishers. And they are this little, they call themselves a kick-ass publishing house in Oregon. And they took a chance. Amazing. Yeah. That was actually going to be one of my, um, questions for saying, like, I think this book is quite unique, because Thank it's you. not a self-help book. It's not a step-by-step. -step. I know at the end you have a little chapter that is more like, look, here are the key takeaways if you didn't get them from, <laughs> from reading through. Um, but yeah, so not a self-help book, not an advice book, not just people's stories. It's kind of all of them together um, at the same time. So not too much of any one thing. Because again, actually, I think different people relate to different things. So Thank some people you. might want that bit of advice running through. Some people might be more attracted to the stories, but they can actually get all of it well, from one book and taste of they, the things. Oh, that, you know what, Rachel, that means so, so, so much. Something I'm really committed to is not telling people what or how to do something because you know, I have been humbled so many times as a therapist thinking I knew something better than someone else. And then inevitably they prove that they know themselves mm -hmm. best. And that is what sticks when you come to something yourself. So that's why the book is this huge book of options for you to choose what you wish to try, experiment with it, tweak it to, to fit what might work in your world. 
because I believe that that's how you maintain it. And that's how it empowers you the most. Now, I've learned on social media that, you know, the bossier and the more angry the posts, the more sharing it gets, the more. So I kind of resolved to the idea that rather than go for, you know, numbers, which wouldn't resonate with, I mean, I think it's, it's a thought that has to be their period, but I went for impact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the questions that you asked me to prepare was about what's the feedback about the book. And it's been just so interesting because the populations it's appealed to have been, you know, caregivers, have been people who actually are in the struggles, have been people who are academics and in psychology. So it's it's spanned quite an array of people. Um, and then I ask my, my person, Denise helps me out with social media. And I said, hey, what's your favorite feedback review? Because I, I will tell you, some people have been super um, ticked off mm-hmm. because I'm pointing out things that can go completely against the culture of beliefs. In fact, someone got so angry that I questioned the BMI and I'm like, ah, interesting. It's a mathematical, it's a mathematical formula from 200 years ago, back when they did surgery with pus all over their jacket and dried blood from the people before and didn't know about sterilization for goodness, health sakes. I'm literally like trying not to start crying, laughing. I've never heard it explained that way before, but it's true. <laughs> oh, I just put that in a blog and that was quoted actually uh, nearly a quote from an ABC news blog. So I have to give credit to the original person who said, cause I was researching 200 years ago. What was the medical practice like? And I'm like, dude, they probably were smoking as they were. I mean, I'm kidding about, no, I'm not, yeah. I'm actually not kidding. They could, they had no idea about sterilization. So we've got this mathematical formula that doesn't take into account bone density, that doesn't take musculature, ethnicity, um, different factors. Uh, here, you know, let's take a, a one of our female basketball players. Well, they may end up because of their muscle mass. Like you, when you said that you were a heavier gym, you know, uh, um, bigger gymnast. Well, what if that's because your muscles? That's your genetic makeup of your muscles that could still test you out as overweight or obese and the O words, you know, I mean like, oh, so anyway, I'm going to stop going off on that and just read you what my, what Denise wrote, because I thought it was so lovely. She said, I think the best feedback has been people seeing diet culture for the first time. Lots of people comment that they see themselves in so many stories and start to become aware of diet culture. And I can't ask for more. I just want to increase awareness, get people to start being curious and questioning because so many people spend their entire lives trying to fix their body when there was never anything that needed fixing. In fact, they could have lived the life that a changed body had promised them by never fixing anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so profound. And I think as well, like I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this podcast um, will be aware of diet culture and maybe how it's not helpful. Well, I don't think it's helpful for anyone, but um, how it's how it's not helpful for them. But I think I remember the first time I started hearing about intuitive eating and those sort of things, like yeah. I was not really having any of it. I was quite confrontational because I, you know, built my self-worth and identity around Rachel eats clean, Rachel goes to the gym. It's like, <laughs> and you're telling me that's not a good thing. 
And then uh-huh. slowly I started to do, okay, I've got bulimia, I probably should <laughs> do something about this. Um, but it definitely did, didn't sit well with me for a long time. So I think like you say, if you can just even like crack that door open, shed some light on it for people that they can explore further, it's like an amazing thing. You know, you just said it in a way of, because I, I really stink at summarizing things. That is not my gift. I'm a details person. You just said it. I think I wrote the book to crack the door open on examining other ways. Um, the back of the book says, and, and I don't mean to make this like boring, but that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to crack the book open because who am I to say that something's not for someone else or that intuitive eating is the only way? you know, and we have different stages. I write at the beginning of it that this book would have, I would have been so skeptical about this and been like, this author is so dumb. She's got it all wrong. I would have been so pissed, ticked. Uh, You can bleep it out. But I, I would have kept it on the shelf. I, it would have made, and that's what I love about some of the reviews that are angry. I'm like, it's probably on your shelf. (laughs) The back of the book says a 702 billion global diet, nutrition, and wellness wellness industry shows that people worldwide are devoted to achieving maximum health and their desired bodies. Yet, mainstream approaches are failing these individuals. And sadly, science proves this. Intent on gaining the health and happiness that diets promise, consumers keep trying. They, be- they become sad and frustrated, believing they're failing when they're not. They simply need a legitimate alternate path which meaningful offers. Through the contributors' diverse real-life mini-memoirs, followed by Spots to Lazar's, that's me, (laughs) commentaries, readers will learn about themselves and discover their unique, unconventional formulas for conquering their issues. And along the way, meaningful will also guide them towards more self-appreciation, wellness, and fulfillment. There you go, everyone. Go and buy the book. (laughs) (laughs) But that's... um, that was it. And we were, gosh, there was something else I was just going to say, boy, did my mind blank. So I'm going to let that go and not torment myself about it, whatever. It will come back in a minute, just uh, yep. cut in if it comes back. But what do you think it is as well? That's just helpful about hearing like someone else's story or someone else's experience, even if someone didn't read your kind of follow-up comments about each story, if they just read the yeah. stories. Well, for, I think one of the absolute most common feedback has been, um, I didn't feel alone. I felt like I, a couple of people have actually written, you know, I felt like I was sitting in the living room talking with friends. So there's a sense of community and it's not the misery loves company. It's putting, you know, that whole name it to tame it thing where when you can speak of things and put labels on things, they become so much less threatening and they're able to be looked at with less power. Mm-hmm. What about you? Why, what, you, what's your say about it? I know that, that you've, you know, thank you so much for how you looked at it and described it, but what would be your kind of comments about what, what would the benefits be? I guess in terms of hearing other people's stories, I think pretty much like you were saying, like you don't feel so alone. And I think sometimes as well, when someone else is almost, I'll say admitted in inverted commas, it's not admitted, but when they've kind of said this thing that you'd built up in your head was this huge thing. You've got like, um, often people say, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. I can never be fixed. Like I'm the worst person in the world. And you're 
I'm unlovable. Gone off on what your mind has gone off on one, and you hear someone else saying it, and you're like, what? Like they have almost given you permission to say it as well. Love it. Yeah. And I think it's nice that you have got such a diverse range of people. Um, who contributed to the book as well like were people quite keen to get involved oh my gosh so this is this is something absolutely I had never ever done throughout my life um, you know before this book I did some I did this self-acceptance rally educational event with a flash mob because I wanted to test if teaching through inspiration could uplift people so when you when you kind of put that into um, and teach people and get them to get help so doing flash mobs because I did quite a few of them I met and it's just a tremendous amount of people. Before that, I had jobs that kept me with people all the time. So I had this kind of Rolodex of people that were in my heart, may not have talked to them for years, maybe barely knew them, whatever. Long short is I kind of accessed my gut feelings and just reached out to people like super randomly and said, Hey, do you have a story? I just, I'm kind of following my gut. And people are like, yeah, I have a story. And I'm like, I can't pay you. There's no, like, there's, this is all experimental. It could just go to all crash. Like, I'm going to take time from your life. I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible for you. But are you willing to, to do this? And every one of them was like, absolutely. If my life can help someone else, do it. And so they, I was so honored that they trusted me with pieces of their lives, their stories, they're working through things. And I think that's another thing that I love about the stories is it goes through their realizations in human speak. I think sometimes in therapy, we, mm-hmm. we use these big words and these big concepts. And if you break down what's underneath it, it's all very human. And so I love that they get to talk about these things in non-theoretical terms that other people can look at and freely apply and and see if they can work for them too. But yes, everyone, I think there was only one experience that actually my gut kind of knew ahead of time was going to be a little tiny bit tricky, Uh, but I was so blown away. And then there was also a part of me that's like, well, gosh, if every single one of these has an experiment, an experience, Mm -hmm. like, is it because my gut just knew that? Or is this because everybody has a painful experience, an experience with their body or food that taught them things or wounded them, or that they're happy to share their vulnerabilities to save someone else from going through their struggle of healing from those vulnerabilities. Like I'm just, I'm, I could not feel more in a non-religious sense, blessed for the people who contributed, those who use their names, those who had to anonymize, those who, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so fortunate that they allowed me, especially the ones that barely knew me, still trusted me. Yeah, I think there's also something healing and sharing your story when it feels like the right time, obviously. Um, But I'm kind of almost trying to pass on that wisdom. Often people kind of get that actually, this is also a side tangent, but I did my um, undergraduate research project about blood donation and reasons that people donate. And then our paper, we did like a factor analysis and we kind of, it was about altruism, but we were measuring other facets um, and different types of altruism, like um, 
there's this other thing called kin altruism. So like a monkey might do something nice for another monkey, but it wants to pass on its bloodline. It's not really trying to be nice. Like that's the theory. But we found this other thing called like warm glow, what we called it warm glow giving. And it's that like you are doing it for altruistic reasons, like you want to help people, but it also makes you feel good. And so you're like, oh, I'm going to keep doing that because I'm always getting this warm glow from it. And I think sometimes like sharing your story about recovery and kind of what you've been through or the insights you kind of get that like little warm glow as well I think um, I am I nodding <laughs> I love that because I mean really I I say it in kind of a disempowering way I'm like you know humans we're so funny we we, we really do kind of seek personal benefit but in giving the personal benefit is that I warm glow. May I steal that mm. and use that because it's exactly oh, what it is. Yeah. It's like, you're not expecting anything else. Back. No. Like if you're giving your blood to you, well, you love maybe in England, we get a sticker and some biscuits, which is nice too. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's not really enough incentive to go and give, yeah. give your blood. So I think it is that, yeah, I think it is still altruistic. It's still a it good is. intention to it. So. It, and I think it's part of human connectedness. Um, we, in, I do, I do think, you know, this is not a clinical thing, but I like, I think that we do genuinely want to connect and most, you know, there's very, I, I think human nature, I, I, I'm not going to go into how I kind of learned it, but mm-hmm. if you're given a choice between harming someone else or helping, I think humans generally do prefer to help um, if we cut through all def- the defenses like underneath. Um, there are, you know, of course, sociopathic mm-hmm. type stuff, but that's so rare. Long short is we are connected. And I think whenever any of us, like even you and I, I feel better connecting with you right now. I walked in here grumpy morning, but connecting and sharing a human experience, a human conversation where it's give and take just fills us and talking about cats before we started recording also makes people feel happy I so love cat pictures (laughs) dogs or whatever animal of preference um I just love to um go back because I know when we um spoke briefly before recording this as well that you told me about the flash mobs and I know you just mentioned it now, but could you just give people some more details? Because I think you were explaining to me like how it came about and like your approach to it. And I just found it really interesting. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, I used to. OK, I used to go to some mental health events and I would kind of watch, listen to the speeches and watch the public. And, you know, I think it's really hard to figure out what to talk about that will bring the public in. But, you know, the scary statistics and and staying in the pain, I would watch the public walk up and walk away. And I'm like, yeah, you know, even I would turn off a bit because I'd be like, oh, I want to feel good. I Wow, we just passed my threshold for pain and details and kind of like anybody who could get triggered out here and start scanning for people getting triggered. Like, so I thought, gosh, darn it, what? What if we did teaching through complete fun and uplifting positivity? What if we had inspirational speeches that had only enough pain to flip to triumph where you wanted to literally cheer? What if after we get people all pumped up and having fun, we gave education? So that was kind of the format in my head. And due to a bunch of different work experiences, I was like, 
well, there's a few things I'm going to have to pay to learn about, but I pretty much have the experience to put together these different segments, but on the day of, I can't be 10 people. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to have, oh my gosh, it was so amazing how many volunteers started it off and continued it. So the flash mob, a flash mob is traditionally when people start dancing together in public in a routine. Now for this, a everything just rolled together in such an amazing way. I was seeking a song and seeking rights and blah, blah, blah. A friend linked me to this wonderful group who had a heart to give again, that, that want to feel good. And they were cutting their chops. So they wrote an original song called I'm original. And it's all about being original and embracing. And, and so that became the anthem. And what the flash mob is, is you, when I do it, we all have to go to rehearsals because in the rehearsals, you're individually vulnerable, but as a group, you're not vulnerable. Like, so you learn how to embody the message of self-acceptance through movement, because you can be any skill set doing this. Like there's, I've done it in ways where I'm like, why is everybody doing a step opposite of what I'm doing? And I made the routine. So it's so funny to me. It got me so over my own perfectionism because I couldn't get mad at my, you know what I mean? I was like, well, I can't be a hypocrite. So um, if there's any questions to that, let me know. But what happens was people learned what's in their way of self-acceptance through embodying movement together, embodying making mistakes, embodying the joy of jumping up and down instead of getting mad at at doing a step opposite. Who cares? It's a solo, my friends used to say, you know, like, so there was this piece, you've got that piece. And then the bonding that happens when you lose the step, you look to the left and somebody wants to help you because they're doing the step. You look to the right, you look front, you look back. Like it is dance in a routine is so communal. And it's like, I just I love the power of movement together through choreography. Uh, so that's how that came about. It ended up going all, it, we got to appear all over the United States, including on Capitol Hill during the lobbying day. Um, we appeared in the Staples Center at a LA Sparks game where there was a declaration that Mayor Garcetti had signed about, it was the Shake It for Acceptance, Self-Acceptance Day in the city of LA. And we had around a hundred dancers all, oh God, it was, gosh, it was so amazing. And one of the ushers helped me understand. He was like, that was great. And I was like, why? I said, you watch every halftime, why? I don't know how to market this thing. And he said, because he didn't expect us to be dancers. And he said, everyone got out there and danced. And he said, you know, they didn't necessarily all do the same steps. He said, but everyone that you watched, you could feel their joy. And so he Mm -hmm. said, for me, I just had such a good time with you guys. And he said, that's why it was so wonderful. Yeah. I was thinking when you were saying that there probably are like dance classes that you can go to or like, um, opportunities to experience this kind of thing in a dance school. But my general perception of dance is like, you're going to do it for a performance. So you need to get it perfectly right. Or there's some kind of competition. Who's going to be at the front or who's going to be doing a solo. And it just takes away all of that stress. And like you say, you can get different learnings about yourself when you don't have that stress. Oh, I think yes. even in an aerobics class, I am not the most coordinated. I could do arms and legs separately, but when we put arms and legs together, I'm going in a different direction. And then that inner critic comes in and you've <laughs> kind of got no one to say the opposite, have you? Because you think, oh God, everyone else is doing the same and you leave. 
I leave not feeling great um, and thinking, I don't like aerobics. Why did I bother to go again? hundred percent. I used to be that way too. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why it felt so powerful to, to find the joy. And that's so funny. Cause last night I was at my quote unquote, you know, you could call it aerobics or it's called dance it out dance fitness. And there's actually a story in the book about how I found my personal joy instead of calorie counting and mm-hmm. burning calories and doing good steps and doing right steps and turning out and blah, jumping high and blah, 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 blah. Last night I was dancing and everybody comes charging at me because I went the wrong way. And I just stood there screaming, laughing because I was like, ah! <laughs> it was hysterical. That's so nice though. I think, yeah, I'm not going to do aerobics for a while because I'm <laughs> not a gym member now because of COVID and basically the sanitizer at the gym smelled horrible and I hated having to clean everything. So I was like, I'm just taking a break for a while. I can't be dealing with well, that. Um, and we do it, we do it in the park so that we're all lovely. vaccinated. We don't, mm-hmm. we were able to stand far enough apart. I mean, it's a public park that two of us have like almost comparable to stadium lights. We haul them in, set them up and dance together. And it kept us kind of sane, but that that's why, like, believe me, if I had to wear a mask and go to the gym and stuff right now, I think that I, that, that would take away my joy. Mm, yeah there's probably people listening like I love the gym like good for you but not for me at the minute (laughs) and that's it you know what that's it about movement it's about like it doesn't movement is can help your chemicals can help your mood there are so many benefits to movement that have absolutely nothing to do with calorie burn or any of those things. Maybe you want to be stronger. Some people love the Spartan races and stuff. Like we each have our things that we love, but I just really ask people to explore. Do you love it because it helps you to do your, you know, if you have that duty idea about your body, or if you have that idea that you have to change your body, or do you like it because it gives you benefits? It gives you mood benefits, energy benefits, communal benefits, satisfaction benefits, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was thinking the other day, um, there's this quote, I think it's about food. It's like, would you, oh, it's kind of the opposite, but it's almost like, would you still do that? So the exercising, I suppose, would you still do that if you wouldn't lose weight doing it? And if the answer is no, it's like, okay, you're probably not enjoying it. How about find something you do enjoy? But um, just ignore the bit about the food. But otherwise it was like almost the flip and get confusing because we're running out of time and I love talking to you. So last question. Yes. And did I cover, wait, wait, wait. Did I cover the flash mobs enough? Because that was pretty all over the place. It made sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to everyone else. I think we all got some learnings from it as well. And I just thought it was super interesting that you decided to start doing that. Um, Okay. So what would you say to someone who came to you and said, I just want to eat normally? Oh, okay. I, this is the other one I really thought about. And I think that I would say to them, I would want to hear their energy about, I just want to eat normally. And here's what I mean. I just want to eat normally versus I just want to eat normally. One says, you know, I simply want to eat normally with, it's a declaration. Like if we remove the just, Mm -hmm. I want to eat normally. The other is so self-shaming and so, so what I think I would say to someone is how are you talking to yourself as you say that? 
Of course, we want to eat normally because eating quote unquote normally is can be once we get there so simple and so joyful and just right in a way that doesn't have a right or a wrong. Mm -hmm. But how are you saying it to yourself is what I would want to say to someone who said, I just want to eat normally or if I read it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. We've not had anyone um, kind of bring up that point before. So that's really interesting. And where can people find you? I know you had to change your Instagram recently, which we won't go into. Um, Yeah, she's crying. I've made her cry. First guest that I've made cry. (laughs) Um, Let's just quickly subtitle Instagram got deleted um, (laughs) that she had poured so much energy into for the book. Oh, no, don't cry, please. No, I'm not at all. I thank goodness. I'm actually cracking up. I love that you just outed that. That's awesome. (laughs) Okay, I can I can edit it if you're like, no, absolutely. You know what? Absolutely not. Um, You can find me hopefully if I don't get deleted for some other weird, mysterious reason on all platforms. You therapist alley. Um, Mm -hmm. That's Allie with two L's can find me on various platforms. Uh, Meaningful read can find me on various platforms with two L's. And worst comes to worst, my name, Allie Spots to Lazarus, two L's, two T's, two Z's as in zebras, (laughs) um, will find me anywhere on the internet. I mean, I just, I just, I'm I'm pretty obedient. I I couldn't get deleted from everything uh, mysteriously. Yeah, I bet there's at least one or two people like really relating to this bit of the whole podcast and will probably message you to share that anger about um, social media, love it and hate it. (laughs) Please do. Oh my gosh, feel free. Reach out again. We are, we are not alone. Mm -hmm. Rachel, thank you so (laughs) much. This was super fun and I'm really glad to meet you. Thank you for listening to the Just Eat Normally podcast. I hope you found this enjoyable, interesting and insightful and informative. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to hear the next episode. And just remember that you can check out the show notes for contact details and extra resources.